Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today, my guest is Alex from Tenchi Security. He is my first Brazilian guest, so I was definitely excited to have a Brazilian person. And by the way, he did a great job of representing Brazil and the tourism for Brazil while we had this conversation. Anyway, we spoke about identity and access management in AWS. It's a really complex topic. We Last week, we spoke about identity and access management in uh, Azure, Azure and Azure, Azure. <laughs> um, as you can see, it's too, way too early in the morning for me. The interesting part about this conversation was seems like a lot of questions that were asked during the live stream uh, were around MFA, biometric authentication, and how do you, I guess, scale effectively what kind of services does Cognito have or the advantages of, or not advantages of having Cognito. We also spoke about the lack of training, um, I guess for people who are on my cloud security training, um, you guys know what I'm talking about, that most of the training that you find for cloud out there is usually focused more on things like, how do you use a service or how do you, what is the security service? We kind of highlighted the fact that uh, people like, uh, I guess, myself or Chenchi or Scott Piper, Terry, we have a few handful of people, our rich mogul as well, a few handful of people who are trying to kind of bring that security lens on the cloud landscape. And they're not that many. And there is a reason why we need more of these. So, I mean, I, I'll let you hear the whole podcast for more information, but I think the reality is identity and access management, which is a complex topic because IAM by itself has almost 7,000 things that you can do with it. I'm not even kidding. If you can look it up, uh, any identity on AWS, if you look at one of the roles, I think um, Alex touched on this as well, but it's a really important topic. I hope you get some value out of it. I would love to hear some feedback. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to the speaker or, uh, sorry, the guest or myself, if however you want to approach this and for people who follow us on uh, other platforms like youtube linkedin and periscope or even twitter for that matter for the live stream always appreciate the engagement that you guys have so uh, for anyone listening on the podcast sending in a question if you feel you don't want to come to a live stream happy to kind of take some of those questions to the guest and uh, we obviously would love to hear from you so i appreciate the support we're growing and uh, shout out to the review that i got uh, last week i think it was uh dude whoever that person was i for some reason i couldn't see the name it was just a user handle so i just wanted to say thank you i really appreciate the review um because all the subscriptions or the follows or the reviews that you guys share and give the ratings that you give me on itunes or youtube or wherever it helps me grow it it helps me get good guests so anyone who's listening if you guys want to continue to do that i'm super appreciative of that fact because it definitely helps me grow and get some really good guests for you guys all right thank you so much for this and i hope you continue to be safe and i know it's a testing and trying time for a lot of people so i hope to see you um happy and well in the next episode as well Today's uh, topic, identity access management. I have someone special from here. He's probably my first Brazilian guest. It's only now, as I'm talking to you guys, I realize actually, oh, it is. It's my first Brazilian guest. So no pressure. Let me just bring him on. <laughs> Hello. Thank, thank you for having me. 
I just realized you're my first Brazilian guest for for this. So like no pressure at all. You're representing Brazil or you're setting the standard <laughs> for Brazil. <laughs> I'm representing the entire country right now. All one. Yeah, totally. Years. Like, <laughs> no, that's amazing. I've got, a, I've got a couple of people who are saying hi as well. So I think you can see the chat window up here, I imagine. So I've got Aaron. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Vineet. Um, uh, I think we have a really good support group over here that people join in and tune in even though super early in Australia. So I'm looking forward to some of the questions from those guys as well. But I'm super excited to have you. Thank you. But you prefer Alex, but... Alex is going to be a lot easier. It would be Alexandre, but Alex. Alexandre. Oh, I do love... I love the pronunciation of that name. I just want to say... I don't know why people don't say Portuguese with a sexy accent, but Alexandre sounds like a bit better. So <laughs> for people who don't know you, who is Alexandre? So I'm a, I've been an entrepreneur in information security since the 2000s, about that time. Founded a company in Brazil called Cypher Security, co-founded a company in Brazil called Cypher Security, which grew to be... Uh, like a major player locally, both in consulting. We had an MSSP and actually this company raised capital uh, and expanded. We had an office in London and, and an office in, in the US as well, started growing internationally. Eventually sold my shares of the company. I mean, there's I, I still have a great history there and love it. It has been since sold to a Spanish company. But then I founded a company called Needle, which was a SaaS service running entirely on AWS. That was a security uh, service, which is basically meant to use machine learning and threat intelligence to automate the work that security analysts do on a security operations center as far as monitoring and triaging of alerts. Right. That company was later sold to Verizon. I was the CTO of that company. I had two co-founders. I worked for a little while at Verizon at their global uh, product, leading the product management team responsible for their detect portfolio of the managed security services for Verizon, which is either number two or number three in the world, as far as managed security services go, depending on who you ask, which analyst. Yep. Uh, and then I decided to be an entrepreneur again. And I just recently founded Tenchi Security, which is a company that's strictly focused on cloud security. <clears throat> because I, I realized something flipped in my head, especially with the experience of selling a company to, to a company as big as Verizon, going through all the due diligence they do, as far as the technology go and security wise. They were pretty thorough on their evaluation. Not that they would have a history of buying a large company that had a security incident. They didn't find out doing the due diligence or anything, but yeah. they were really, really cautious. Uh, I'm talking about the Yahoo uh, deal, of course. And, yeah. and so they, they were really, really thorough. And Needle was a company of six people. I, I alone basically did all the ops for an AWS environment. And we passed without anything without any yellow flags even uh, wow. and it really struck me how easy it was how much easier it was to have something that would pass the muster of that kind of scrutiny with so few people because we were automating almost everything right and it, there's no way we could have done that with traditional technology on premises technology or it would have been orders of magnitude more difficult and more expensive so something flipped on my head and also after i went to the first reinvent saying i think we're going through a change here that we haven't seen such a big shift in it in my opinion yeah. uh since we went from mainframes like novell networks right with micro computers <laughs> and I'm, I'm old enough to to remember people that went through that transition right, right. And, and so this really said if you're doing security today you're not focusing on cloud security i think you're kind of already behind 
and that was the idea behind founding Tenchi. Oh, interesting. And I, I think, uh, sorry, I should have started off with this, but since it's virtual coffee with Ashish, cheers. Oh, cheers. nice. All of you. Wait, is there a particular kind of beer? It's a Brazilian beer, like standard beer. It's, it's uh, 7 p.m. here, but it seems like a summer day. No, it shouldn't be. It's really hot, so cold beers. Great. Wait, because right? I don't know of any Brazilian <laughs> beers. I want to know what's the name of this beer. That one is named Skull. It's not a particularly good one, but if you ever do come to Brazil, my friend, I'm going to show you some really good oh, okay, cool. premium looking, Brazilian beers. We do have them I'm, here. A lot I'm of Germans to emigrated to Brazil, a lot of Italians and Japanese. So one of the interesting things about Brazil is that we have like some of the best Italian food in the world, some of the best Japanese food in the world. If you think about why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is such a thing, and we have so many martial arts in Brazil, it's because we have the largest population of Japanese people outside of Japan. It's like what? actually in the city of Sao Paulo, where I live. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, dude, we need we definitely need to explore quite a bit of that, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll save it for a longer conversation. A couple of more people joining in. I've got Irene, Gerald, morning folks. We've kind of touched on cloud security just said before we cheers. And what is your <laughs> definition of cloud security? Obviously, everyone has their own version. So keen to know what's your version. <clears throat> I think what's happening is we're talking about IT security in a sense. And what's happening is the IT foundations of IT are shifting beneath our feet. As I said, of course, information security is the same since the age of the mainframes, but the way you apply it to IT changes as the technology changes, right? So you did one thing on the mainframe, and then when you went to like an LDAP, you know, directory to control privileges, the way you thought about how you manage privileges, the way you thought about how to apply patches, it, it changes completely because of the way the technology works. And, and cloud is changing things. It's not just another kind of data center. You're not just doing the same things the same way, but you don't own the hardware, right? Right, it right. It really gets me irked with people that do that thing where, oh, it's just other people's computers. No, it's not. You either don't know other how, how IT works or how cloud works, if we're saying that, right? So it, it's just not because the, the, the thing that's really changed in my mind, and it has a lot of interesting consequences that are not immediately obvious unless you study the subject. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that were not automatable that are now. So if you wanted to have a new computer, you know, and on an on-premises environment, you know, you had to go for procurement, you need to receive the hardware, has to be, you know, entered into the correct place on the data center, you need to open the ticket. So a human from cabling goes there and put up the cable and someone logs into a core switch and, you know, assigns an IP address or puts that new port on, onto yep. the correct VLANs. And so it would take months even <clears throat> before you could have a machine. And there was no automated way of doing that. It was a sequence of steps that involved sending emails, making calls with people, opening tickets, humans doing things. And the fact that this can now be just, you know, an EC2 call away that you can just stand up a new instance and it happens in seconds, which is great for, mm -hmm. for, for agility, but it has security implications as well because it can both good and bad. The control plane is what I'm getting at. The automation, right, right. the APIs, the cloud security vendor APIs, they are a new attack surface. There are ways we can do automatically now that we couldn't before. And so security has to protect that. Whereas before, there were so many checks and balances in human processes that if you all of a sudden 
you know, started asking for, if you try to buy like a hundred of the most expensive computers ever, yep. this would require a VP approval and someone would catch it. If you were, think about cryptocurrency miners, right? What do they do with, with a cloud account? They come in and they start running very expensive machines. Yeah. What if that happened on the on-prem world? You know, there would be a procurement process where they get approval and at some point someone validates that and that doesn't happen. That's right. That went yeah. away with the cloud. So, so that's the bad side of it. Yeah. On, but on the other hand, there's a lot of upside, a lot of upside for security in the sense that asset inventories mm -hmm. are a huge problem. There are entire companies whose sole job is to help you go into an on-prem environment and try to create and maintain an asset inventory because this is hard. On the cloud, you just call the APIs. And at, at least you may not go into maybe what's inside the operating system, but you know exactly what machines there are, the network, the subnets. It's all there to be listed in real time. Yeah. Right? But that's yeah. one problem that completely like, went away if you use the APIs. You can automate patch management or even get rid of it entirely if you use the, the uh, shared responsibility model in your favor and adopt managed or serverless architecture. Yeah. Yep. Right? W where you don't have to manage the operating. That's, that's like a complete game changer for security, right? where you can yes. automate steps and you can even get rid of tasks that would be like undifferentiated heavy lifting for IT mm. and that create a ton of pain. Like patching, how yep. many companies get owned because they were lacking a patch and not because they're stupid or because they're lazy. I'm not here for victim blaming because it's hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and even for patching, just one quick, another quick example on how the cloud changes things dramatically. Why do most companies fail at patching? There, there are a ton of reasons, but there's one very practical one that I found very often, which is <clears throat> I don't have a test environment. I don't have a replica of this system that I can stand up and safely test this patch. And if it breaks, I, I, I didn't damage anything that was in production because no one buys, you know, they don't have a clone of their SAP infrastructure, which is really expensive as far as hardware and storage. Yeah, even from a license perspective, you're costing like you're looking at a lot of costs <clears throat> at that point. In the cloud, if you set that SAP server with, you know, infrastructure as code, Oh, let's create this on the test account, a copy. Let's put up some, some data or even replicate the production data. You shouldn't do that, but you can, right? Just replicate the database, apply the patch and see if it still works and then tear it down and you stop paying. You didn't pay like a huge sum of money to have it yeah. sitting idle there for just when you need patches to, to, to test patches. So it's, it's, it's really revolutionary in, in a lot of ways. They're non-obvious. Right. Yeah, and uh, I think to your point, a lot of people are not utilizing it enough <laughs> as well. So that's a great definitional. To your point about the digital assets and how the world has kind of evolved from a cloud perspective, a lot of the opinions we had as security folks initially, to your point about <clears throat> procurement processes, that doesn't really exist anymore. If I've given you access to an AWS account or any account for that matter, whether it's Azure or GCP, you just have free reigns based on the permission you have. Mm -hmm. which is a good segue into identity management and uh, the different kinds of identities that can exist and the challenges <laughs> that come with identity. So for, I mean, I've got, I guess our audience that we have is obviously have experience in an on, or I guess on-premise world also have experience in cloud world. So we have 
few people who are quite experienced and maybe have a few folks who are starting off in cloud security or starting off, starting off in security as well. <clears throat> so from an identity management in AWS perspective, let's, if we can explore the whole federated, how I guess I am user, like what, what is all that? Like what, what, and I, I usually say they're like four kinds of users, but can you know if you feel the same and if you have another version? Mm -hmm. So I think the the, uh, the the contrast I'd like to make with AWS and, and, and Azure really helps, right? And we're very much used as IT professionals, especially if you're in the corporate world. Like if you're in a startup, it's different. But if you're in the corporate world and you're really used to that model where you have like a Windows network, essentially you have Active Directory. So you kind of have a separation of systems and there's a, this separate thing place where the the directory is where the users mm. are the group definitions the privileges are defined uh, either on the directory itself or in the relationship between the directory and the system right so it depends on, on a case-by-case -case basis that's not how aws was structured because it grew organically from 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 the bottom up they didn't start with something as structured as far as iam goes so in aws each aws account is self-contained mm. like everything lives inside the account so if you're a programmer, you can think of an account as kind of a namespace, right? It, it, it's a, it's a, an encapsulation that's all encompassing, right? So if you're inside of an account, there's very few exceptions where you see other accounts. Everything happens inside your account. So the assets are inside the account. The users or the identities they are going to access those assets are there. And the permissions policies you assign are all inside the account. That's not the case with on-prem systems. If you have a typical Windows network, right, where you have AD servers, domain controllers, where users and credentials and typically access privileges live, and then you have like the file servers or the SAP server or other servers that are using that as a reference, and there's it can be separate. In AWS, they're inside the same account. Azure does the same thing as the on-prem stuff, so they have like the Active Directory tenant where you yep. have that, the, the users, the groups, the permissions. Uh, and then you have the subscriptions, I think, would be like the closest parallel to AWS accounts. Uh, they also have resource groups and have other uh, kinds of entities. But the same user exists outside of the subscriptions. And then it can have privileges on several subscriptions. It can have a single password log in with that user that exists on the Active Directory tenant in Azure. And then you can have privileges and with the same API calls, talk to things that live on different subscriptions, provided you have the privileges. On AWS, you're calling AP, doing API calls as one AWS account at a time. Every time you do an API call, every time you have an access key into AWS to call an API, that belongs to one and only one AWS account, and you're living inside that sandbox. And and so it really it's a, it's a different way of thinking if you're coming from an on-prem world, right? So that mm -hmm. requires some thought. The way I, real, I think about why AWS did this is think of sharding, right? So when you think about databases, where they're trying to distribute the data across multiple servers to, 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 to be able to do load balancing, I'm thinking AWS did that to make their data centers and their infrastructure more scalable, right? So if you have very little interaction between accounts, like the account is a unit where they have to keep everything concentrated in their infrastructure, right? So something along those lines, it must make their infrastructure easier. But it's a different mental model than we're used to on both on-premises and even other cloud providers, like uh, GCP with projects where they have the, the project structure that again, a project would be the equivalent of an AWS account maybe, or subscriptions in Azure. So that right off the bat, 
AWS is unusual in that sense. They, they did their own thing, right? That, that's right. not similar to the mental models we had in the past. And they're not using RBAC either, which is another thing that you would expect coming from other environments. It's yep, very- We definitely want to get into RBAC as well, yeah. Yeah. AWS is very identity-centric and not so much group-centric. Like groups in AWS IAM are very limited. They're very poor, mm. very underdeveloped. And I wish it wasn't. We can get into that if you want to, but I don't know if it, what yeah. you have next on your list. <laughs> <laughs> no, so to, from your perspective, so and it's a so I think it's a great definition. I think uh, worthwhile calling out your experience as, as a trainer kind of gets highlighted over here as well because you're able to kind of come from a place where a lot of tech folks have come in from. Like everyone knows the active. I mean, I guess everyone who's been in IT for some time knows that they can act a directory account. And it's funny because. Earlier, when I was trying to do pen testing or in that space, the only thing people would care about was I want to get domain admin, right? That was that was the thing. If you get domain admin, oh my God, porn, everything's like, I, I own everything. But yes. that concept doesn't really exist the same way in cloud. <clears throat> it's like, it's a very different terminology. You're calling, oh, you want a root account access. That's, I mean, which is not like domain admin, still different because you could have multiple organizations. I mean, like we can go to the layer, layer of complexity, but to your point about where people have come from, and this is probably where some of the challenges come into the space as well, where people kind of still think about actors like, oh, I've got a privileged user and I've got a regular user. That's it. Mm -hmm. Or I've probably I've got an, some kind of a script user of some sort. So mm -hmm. keen to know from your side, uh, I guess if you can explain a bit more about if you have, if you're starting today, uh, as a security person in a cloud environment, from an identity perspective, what are, what are the kind of questions you should be asking or what, what should you be looking at? Like what kind of, what's the best practice? Let's go start with that. When you talk about privilege and non-privileged users. Mm -hmm. So let's start with, so the, the first things are, are the same everywhere, right? So there's some concepts that you have to maintain, right? So you will need, it's not just about the technology, there are processes involved, right? So you need to make sure that whatever processes you have around how do I how do I get approvals to create a new user, assign someone different privileges, change their roles, terminate their accounts if they're left the company for, for some reason, et cetera. All of this has to continue to work, right? Applying this privilege and, and need to know and, and those things, it, it's really critical. What's changed is how you do it. And the fact that, that this is really new technology, the privileges are different. They're more complex. Uh, they're completely new kinds of privileges and completely new kinds of services and assets. And so your IT infrastructure, your admins, your access control teams, your service desks are probably going to make more mistakes and are going to be more vulnerable because of the lack of knowledge. There's a, there's a steep learning curve. Just sheer number of, I think the last time I saw like AWS uh, uh, IAM actions for policy, I think it's 7,000 or something, right? <laughs> Some of wow. those are really dangerous. Some of those, you know, allow you to do privilege escalation like crazy, but there are 7,000 of them. Who knows them all, right? So yeah. how can you hope someone doing a review knows everything if you haven't extensively trained them, if you haven't automated that analysis to some degree, right? So I think that's what uh, changes, but Here's what I would recommend. I'm going to talk more about AWS, which is, was the focus of the talk and, and an environment I'm more familiar with. Yeah. Um, but the thing that you need to keep in mind is that we're talking about a new attack surface. 
we, we, we were used to doing access control already, and we need to leverage the existing process as much as possible. So let's start from there. The first thing I would look into, if you are a company adopting cloud, or if you already adopted cloud, but still early days, how do I piggyback what I already have? Right? So you probably already have a corporate uh, directory, right? You either use Active Directory or maybe no value directory or, or something else. You use uh, some IDP, like identity provider, external identity provider, whatever. Yep. Leverage that because you probably already went through the pain of creating processes and automations or even have an IAM uh, product that's helping you manage the workflows of people in, inside that directory. Uh, and if people are terminated, that, that user on the directory is going to be deleted or, or disabled. And so you get a lot of stuff for free. So for mm -hmm. AWS, that means you need to look into using AWS SSO, which is a horrible, horrible name for the service, uh, a single sign-on. Yep. A, because it's impossible to Google anything about it. If you do AWS <laughs> single sign-on, every single IDP that integrates with AWS is going to appear before the documentation of the freaking service, right? So <laughs> it's, it's horrible. It's horrible, <laughs> right? Uh, so, but but it's a, an amazing service, right? And it does two things. One, which you do not care about, which is it acts as like an identity provider. So you can use it to authenticate against other products. Forget that. What you're really interested in is using AWS SSO to integrate to your existing directory. So uh, if you use G Suite, you can have instead of people needing to have like IAM users inside each AWS account, they can log in using their G Suite credentials right, on the web. They can do like a single sign-on transparent. And then you assign them privileges to each AWS account that they need to access, right? And you can do the same with Active Directory. And, and when you use Active Directory, the, the integration is even goes even further. So you can even assign privileges to Active Directory groups. So when you move a person inside Active Directory into a new act into an existing Active Directory group that already has AWS privileges. Next time they go into the AWS SSO link for your organization, they're going to have those privileges. So there's a lot of leverage you can get and a lot of mileage you can get out of those services by piggybacking on your existing processes. So don't reinvent the wheel, keep it simple. And the reason why SSO is an even better idea is because it makes a lot easier to have multiple AWS accounts, which is, I think, another concept that we talk about a lot on the network level, which is segmentation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and compartmentalization, we talk about on, on coding. The same thing should apply to your AWS environment. You should have, there's this concept of reducing the blast radius. So assume someone can escalate privileges into that account Right, for some reason, you gave someone an excessive privilege, someone exploited uh, a vulnerability, whatever, and they yep. gain full access to that AWS account. If you minimize the amount of systems and data into each AWS account, the, the damage that that attacker can do is now contained, is reduced. Uh, so it's containing the blast radius. That, that's the idea. So what I typically recommend to customers, so there's this concept of a lending zone, and AWS has a full service called Control Tower, that can help with that. And they already proposed this minimum idea of having like a security account where all the logs get sent to the security logs, like CloudTrail, et cetera. And you have a shared services account, which every other account can see. And then you will have the different like business systems accounts. And yeah. I would recommend if you're developing internal systems, for example, to have one AWS account for system A production, system A staging, system A 
development. So three accounts for each system, right? At least. And then you keep them separate. Uh, in, in right. So keep the radius. I mean, I guess, well, decrease the blast radius of a potential incident by having separate accounts. Um, just want to quickly acknowledge uh, some of the comments that are flowing in. I think I've got, we've got a few regulars over here. So hi, I'm just going to quickly go through. Hi, Gerald. Hi, Lucas. Hi, Paul. Hi, George. Uh, George mentioned an interesting point about you can still do a lot of damage using domain accounts. So I'm like, yep, yes. actually, hybrid accounts, yeah, it's still a thing. Uh, yep. Your domain account is still pretty much can give you access to something else, especially if you have single sign-on, you can get yeah. access to your uh, AWS account through that. So thanks to single sign-on these days, you get credentials everywhere. That, that's the flip side of using single sign-on. There's an advantage of not having to manage multiple passwords, but the the downside is once that one password is compromised, you're screwed because the attacker has access to everything, which is why you should 2FA all the things. All yes. things. Yes. Not some of the things, not most of the things, all the things. I, and I think um, it's so interesting, right? I feel like nowadays you can't have a conversation about identity management without talking about 2FA. Just the whole username password or username access key, <laughs> if you want to go IAM user or one of those users, it's not enough these days. Mm -hmm. Like, and especially because because we haven't touched on cross account yet. We've only spoken about different kinds of account. Now, if we dabble into cross account, which I would love for you to do uh, <laughs> a pause like Azure apps. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There is that we spoke about Azure apps in our last uh, podcast meeting. So. It's an, it's an interesting concept, which is very different to, well, it's kind of similar to what IAM uses are, but well, it's an interesting concept. I, I guess where I was trying to get to with this was also the fact that it's also the cross-account aspect, not having 2FA, an IAM user, if they have access to, say, multiple, or not, not just multiple, like all your AWS accounts, sometimes people are 50 plus, like that's a real problem. And I think you had a great talk on this topic about the power of cross accounts. Um, we'd love to, if you can probably dive into that, that a bit for people who may not have heard of this before, what is cross account, especially for people who probably are coming from uh, an on-premise world and they're mm -hmm. going into the cloud space, what is cross account and why does that even matter in this context? Of course. Just before we do that, let me just drop in a little uh, stat here, which I think is really interesting, why this subject is relevant. Mm -hmm. um, the DBIR, the, the, the Data Breach Investigations Report that Verizon has published for the last 12 years, right? The, the, the 2020 edition yeah. mentions that 77% of the cloud breaches they studied involved breached credentials, involved the misuse of credentials. So someone had hacked and obtained illegal access into the account. So that's why protecting those credentials is really important. But, but let's get to the, the cross-account aspect yep. of things. So the, the way in which you can, there's a lot of scenarios where you need to have access to different accounts in, in AWS because as I said, AWS accounts are self-contained. If you are separating an environment into multiple accounts, you might have a scenario where you want, must have account A access a resource on account B. Like so for, I gave an example of centralized logging, right? So you might need, to, or, or to save backups because you don't have you don't want to have your main data and the backups living on the same account. If someone become becomes the root of that account, you can delete the data and the backups, and then you're having a really bad day, right? So you want to have your backups on a separate account, right? Uh, and yep. so you you want to allow account A to write data into let's say an S3 bucket of account B, right? So you need to have cross account access. And the other scenario where that is really really being used is 
when you talk about SaaS service providers, there's a whole classes of SaaS services coming up to help you manage, monitor, or even provide security for your cloud accounts, where you have a company, let's talk about CSPM, for example, which was the subject of your last issue, right, of the podcast. Yeah. CSPM product, in a sense, you can think about it as kind of a vulnerability scanner for the control plane, right? It's looking at the way API control plane services, cloud services are configured and reporting bugs. So it needs to access your account. It needs to call the cloud providers APIs and see how things are being run and configured on your AWS account. How is that done? <clears throat> there are many ways in which you can do this, right? So the simplest way you can think about it and is the parallel of using Azure apps, which be I could create an AWS IAM user, that yep. user, I would create credentials, so an access key ID, secret access key, and I would give them via like a secure channel, because those are really, really easy to find, to your SaaS provider, right? And so they, they would save those credentials and they would use that whenever they needed to call APIs on your account to find out if you have any public S3 buckets or if you have any users that don't have 2FA enabled, things like that that they want to alert on. They would use those credentials to call APIs on your behalf. They would have whatever privileges you assign to that IAM user, and they can access your <clears throat> environment. The problem with that is that then what, what this means is that this one vendor will have to store all of the credentials of all the accounts it can access. So if you're talking about a large company that may, maybe has thousands of customers, each with tens of accounts, you're easily talking about exist, there exists a database somewhere where tens of thousands of valid, possibly high privilege, you know, AWS credentials exists. And that just becomes like a huge beacon and, you know, for attackers, that's a huge prize for an attacker. Or if that leaks, then because we're, information security is hard, right? Even well-meaning, well-funded, competent vendors you know, things happen. Backup is leaked. Yep. Someone accidentally posts something somewhere. One of their ops people gets their laptop compromised. Someone gets access to the account where those passwords are stored, those keys are stored. So it's it's really, really a very big risk concentrator. Yep. AWS offers a different way of doing things. <clears throat> There's an alternative where the SaaS vendor is not required to store secrets. It's not required to store credentials, right? So the way this works, um, and this is something that really comes up on the security uh, certification exam for AWS, by the way. So anyone thinking about taking oh, this, this a good the certification yeah. <laughs> exam, look into this, right? So you can, on AWS, there's this concept of a role. And the way that I think about a role is a role is a user that has no credentials. There's no way you can log into the console as a, as a, as a role directly. Mm -hmm. There's no password that you can set so you can log in as a role. As well as like a fake user. And you could think about it the way you would have like a service user on a Linux machine that you disabled the shell, you disabled a password, but you can sudo and become that that user, right? So the, the, the concept of roles is that you can have a fake user, you assign yep. privileges to that fake user, and then you can assume that role. You can temporarily become that role. And the way this works is every time you call the assume role API, yep. that API will return temporary credentials that can last anywhere between, I think, one hour and 12 hours. Yep. Um, that 
if you then start calling AWS APIs with those temporary credentials, they will have all of the privileges you assign to that role. And you can do that inside your own account, right? You can have your, inside your own account, you can create a role. You have a user that has very limited privileges. And every time they want to do something more advanced, they have to assume a role. And then they use the temporary credentials that role gives them to do the more dangerous things. That could yep. be, again, equivalent of requiring someone to do sudo before they can do a system change on a Linux machine, right? But the fun thing is that you can now allow account A to assume a role in account B. So roles, they have a permissions policy, which, mm -hmm. you know, once you assume the role, what can you do? Those are the permission policy. Yep. But you have what's called a trust policy saying who can assume that role. So it looks more like a bucket policy. It's a resource policy in a sense saying who can assume this role. And you can put there the, another AWS account ID. And the thing is, you don't need any secrets to do that because AWS is making the trust transitive, right? So you are authenticated into your account, right? And you are a SaaS vendor, you are a CSPM vendor, okay? You are a Sheesh CSPM, right? And I configure a role in my account saying that I trust your account. Yep. But when you do a Zoom role, you call, when your account, you call a Zoom role and say, the role you want to assume is my role. You're gonna give it an ARN, an identifier of the role that includes yep. my account ID and the role name I created for you. AWS does all the magic. We don't need to establish a password amongst ourselves. AWS yep. knows that you are authenticated to your own account. Then AWS goes to check on my account that I trust your account and that it allows the, the, the call to get through. And then you like get temporary credentials into my account. Mm -hmm. And then you can use those temporary credentials to start inspecting things on my account. So it's really tricky to think about it, but it's genius. Because the thing is, if I have a thousand customers, those thousand customers each trust me as a SaaS vendor, right? Or they yeah. trust you to, to let's not confuse things. You are the SaaS vendor, right? So yeah. if you have a thousand customers and all of those thousand customers trust your account, you don't need to store passwords for any of them. Every time you need to do something, you obtain temporary credentials, keep them only in memory, yeah. do the thing, and then kill that machine. Those credentials are gone. <laughs> they disappear. They're not stored anywhere that could leak. Someone yep. would have to hack into your account or hack into those worker machines that are doing the magic and, and keeping those things in memory and steal them, which is arguably a lot harder to do. Yeah, I think I have an interesting scenario on this and I'm pretty sure AWS hasn't really solved this problem yet. No, so, you know, and I, I think for reference, we're talking about SDS service from AWS, which is that- Yes, um, open service. Temporary, yeah, that's right. So, so now I can have that as an IAM user as well. And what I found amazing is the fact that when you do request an SGS token, it doesn't get recorded. Like there is no console view to the fact that, oh, Alex has requested a session token, sorry, a new set of session from his access key. So the the call to assume role does get logged on, yep. on on CloudTrail, which is what you would need. So in order to obtain temporary credentials, you would need to call assume role. There's a few versions of assume role that work differently. I'm yep. describing like the main assume role. You can 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I meant more in terms of, say, for example, Alex has requested a session token. I see he's requested a session token. But if you have, somehow, I think we said, like, it's valid from an hour to, I think it's the the longest period is three days or whatever the longest period is, because you can set that up. What, What I found interesting was the fact that if Alex has requested a session token, Mm-hmm. I can't see that he's requested a session token. So it would not come up as a list, say, under under Alexander in the console. Ah, or anywhere. on the console. Yeah, you would need yeah. to go into the logs to see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I found that really yeah. interesting. Yeah, because uh, to your point, it's it's so multi-layered because you kind of have like a view which is only in console. And there's another view which is only in CLI or I guess a bit more in CLI, which is... Um, by the way, which is probably a good segue into the question that came from Vineet about does biometric authentication, uh, is that ideal for an account access? I don't know if it's even possible to have a biometric authentication. It's like MFA, can you have, I think a YubiKey probably is the closest thing you can go for a hardware token. Or can you go for a biometric? It's interesting. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of biometric myself, but that, I mean, if you have a second factor of authentication, you probably way ahead of the game even if it's just sms it's way better than just using password it's like a huge increase and i know every authentication uh method has flaws mm-hmm. but it's, it's funny to me biometric is much more an, an identification than an authentication measure because it's it's telling the system who you are and not proving that you are who you are because your fingerprint is not a secret the government has your fingerprint. You know, anyone that, that can take a picture of you up close can have an image of your iris. And and, and so you're broadcasting that 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 information. You know, you pick up a glass and there's your fingerprint is then there. So I think it's I would think about biometrics much more as a way to prevent something like password sharing, because then you have to identify yourself much more than you're proving that you are yourself to the system. But that's just me. I mean, if you look at the, the like the CBK for the IC Square, or if you look at, you know, people that know a lot more than I do, they they consider that one of the three authentication factors. But I actually think it's not as strong as the other two, in my opinion. That's uh, uh, first, personal opinion. Hopefully that answers your question, Vinit, but definitely keen. To, I, by the way, you've definitely made me think about biometric in a different way as well. <laughs> But yeah, uh, we'll we'll come back to that one. But I think it's a really interesting uh, differentiation that you've kind of called out. I do want to cover something, uh, just switching uh, gears again. We spoke about identity, we spoke about cross-account, and we spoke about the fact that MFA is probably a really, really good thing. I'm just going to stress again, really, really good thing. All the things, MFA. Yeah, all the things. Now, if I want to manage identities, now obviously some people are only cloud, some people are hybrid. Some people have single sign-on. Some people don't have single sign-on. So, how do how do they where, where do they start with managing identities across this like this landscape that we have kind of created for ourselves? Is there and you can go from like of someone who's cloud ready or cloud build to someone who's hybrid. How do you manage identity across the board? Like, what what's your recommendation on that? My recommendation is to keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible. Uh, not try to reinvent the wheel and and keep things as standardized as possible, which is why uh, you said some people are using SSO, some people are not. The people that are not should be using SSO because that's the best way to leverage whatever you have on-prem 
and extend that into the cloud and get all the processes for free. Because if not, what you have to do is to create completely separate processes, service desk scripts, policies, et cetera, just for cloud and make sure they are consistent with everything else. And now you have another step when someone gets uh, leaves the company that you, there's another place people need to go to turn off their account and people might forget and then you have a security incident. And so you, you want to avoid that as much as possible. And then here's, here's or, unless you can automate that, right? If you want to keep things separate for some reason, then make sure you can automate that. And depending on your size, that can be even more cost effective than using SSO. I don't know, right? I don't know everyone's mm-hmm. situation or scenario, but... I would try to leverage what exists as much as possible and to reduce diversity as much as possible. So, for example, uh, and there's a lot to be said about multi-cloud, right? Yeah. I, 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 I tend to think that multi-cloud is a myth. What people mm-hmm. actually have is poly-cloud, right? In the sense that you don't have a single workload working on multiple clouds at the same time and switching magically between one another. That I have, I've never seen that. But you can have, oh, I use Office 365 and, I don't know, my Windows boxes run on, on Azure. But then the developers, when they write the code for our e-commerce uh, infrastructure, they're running that on AWS. So each thing is running on one cloud and one cloud only. But having said that, each cloud handles IAM completely differently. If you can standardize in just one of them, whatever it is, I don't know, you love GCP, you go on all in on GCP. You, you love Azure, you're going to go all in on Azure. All of those three main cloud providers are really good, and they have pros and cons, depending on what you need. Try to focus as much as possible on just one and, and go all in on that one because you're going <sighs> to talent, people are the greatest bottleneck for security in general and cloud security in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ISC Square says, we're you know, there's 4 million unfilled positions worldwide on security. And that's wow. just general security. If you think about cloud security, that's a really tight Venn diagram because cloud talent is also pretty uh, rare, right? And so yeah. find a security person that understands cloud. So good luck with that, right? So, <laughs> so now if you, you need a good cloud security person for AWS and another one for Azure and another one for GCP, I mean, how much money do you have, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yep. that is true. You, wanna, you don't want to put yourself in that position as a manager, as, as a company. You want to minimize the um, amount of talent that you need. And so once you define... This is how governance is going to work for AWS. This is how access management, logging, this is how segregation and compartmentalization is going to work for AWS. If you can stick to AWS, or if you do the same for Azure, and then you stick to Azure, if you do the same for GCP and you stick to GCP, you're going to make your life a lot easier, which is why companies standardize on database systems. Some companies say, I'm going to just use SQL Server. Some people say, I'm just going to use Oracle, whatever. Because you then mm-hmm. don't need like a huge team of DBAs, you know, one for MySQL, one for Postgres, one for, it's crazy, right? You need different yeah. packing, backup solutions for each one because they're all different, right? It's the yep. same thing for cloud. So don't make your job harder by overcomplicating and over-engineering things. Try one thing at a time, try to standardize as much as possible, P- piggyback what exists, integrate with what exists as much as possible would be my recommendation. Oh, that's a, and that's perfect because we just got a comment from Louis. Companies want one security person that knows everything. That's so true. <laughs> it's like it, you just, they're all looking for a magical person who basically knows all the clouds and can all solve all your problems, but has to be one person for GCP, AWS, and Azure. I'm like, mm, I don't know how real this scenario is. It's kind of like asking for someone to have 20 years of cloud experience. 
like cloud didn't exist 20 years ago but you want 20 years experience in cloud like it's kind yeah. of one of those ones i've got an yeah. interesting question from uh, malini as well she's asking how to manage root accounts in aws what's your recommendation on managing root accounts in aws the root accounts are a liability that's that's my main theme here so root accounts should be put into multiple custody scenarios or on a, a, a stored somewhere safe like in the safe it's 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 you print out the password no one knows the entire password some some person sets half of the password the other person sets half other half of this password they never see each other's piece of paper they're stapled together and put that on on a safe inside a break in case of fire scenario break in case of emergency scenario never should use a root account for anything unless there's an emergency or is a, a disaster that's what you need to do with with the uh, the root account set to fa for the root account and you can save the seed or the QR code in the safe as well. So print the QR code you know, for the true fake, yeah. save it, <laughs> then delete it from Google Authenticator. Uh, you only use that in case of emergency. And the other thing that you need to keep in mind uh, is when you create new accounts through AWS organizations, right? Those accounts, they have a root user that is based off of the email address you chose when you created each account, which is what apart from the account ID is one of the things that uniquely identifies an account on AWS organizations, but it, it, it does not have a password set. When you create a new AWS account on AWS organizations, it does not set a password for the root account. So what you mm. need to do immediately after you create an account on AWS organizations is go to the console login page, uh, to the root login page, and then you reset, like I forgot the password for that email, and then yep. set a password in the way I just described with 2FA, Print it out, store it in the, the safe. No one knows the whole thing. No one can access it as the root. And everything, everyone does everything using SSO. That's where you want to get. Perfect. And I think to your point about, it's funny uh, you mentioned that because a lot of people talk about the whole use of organization as well and how <coughs> if you use organization, you don't get access to the root account password for all the sub-accounts that you've created underneath the organization. So would you recommend that they should reset the password for those root accounts as well? So, so that, that's the point. Uh, it's not that you don't get access. It's not defined. It's, it's, it's empty. It's not that anyone can log in, right, either, right? It's not like if you just go to the login page and put in an, an empty password, you can log in. But it's not defined. So here's the thing. Who gets that email? You have to set an e a valid email address, right, for each root account. That's probably going to a distribution list. Right, for IT management or whoever, right, or, or even maybe finance because they want to get the billing information. And uh, each company treats you know that email address differently, right? It's typically a distribution. Yep. It's not a person, right? Or it should be, uh, anyways. But here's the thing: if you don't set a password, all an attacker needs to do is to try out a few things, and mo those email addresses could be fairly guessable, mm -hmm. and they can send phishing emails to that address or, or send a reset. You know, and, and, and help you and go through the reset process and do social engineering and get access as the root to any of those accounts. So every single AWS account you created, you need to know that the AWS the, the root account password is set. Yep. That UFA is enabled, but no one actually has that on their phone. It's like the QR code or the seed is saved somewhere on a break glass in case of fire scenario. That that's what you need.
Uh, and by the way, uh, just on the comment of the cloud security experience, quite a few agreements over there from a lot of people from Gerald, Vineet, Malni. The interesting one from Paul about people assuming enterprise security architect actually knows about the cloud. So that's, that's so true as well. Like, assuming a lot of people actually know about that is so true. I do want to, uh, I, I know we're coming kind of towards the tail end of the show as well. I did want to ask in terms of the conversations you're having with people, what are the, some of the problem areas around identity? <laughs> or that people are not talking about enough in the cloud space or in AWS, I guess. What are those <clears throat> things? So the, the main thing uh, that I'm seeing is that people are minimizing and, and it goes to exactly that comment from Paul. Yeah. Uh, that, that we see huge projects, you know, to do lift and shift. I've seen, you know, it's like medium-sized banks uh, that, yep. that I've talked to, for example. They have this huge project on lift and shift to... AWS or to Azure, right? And it's a mandate from the CTO or whatever. And they're spending like a million, $2 million on that migration project and say, okay, what's the training budget for that? Oh, it's like $60,000. So it's going to fail. Uh, immediately, I already know this is going to fail. Because really? there's no way the existing IT team with no previous cloud experience has any chance of pulling that off. The moment those consultants walk out the door, this is all going to go to hell. <laughs> it's all going to break immediately, right? And the I know IT projects in general have a tendency of not meeting their budgets or deadlines. Those kinds of lift and shift projects are even worse than the average. Oof. And, and so the greatest bottleneck is knowledge, is expertise. So one of the biggest line items for any company that's taking cloud seriously is train people, developers, ops people, security people to give them hands-on capabilities. Not don't send them to certificate certificate training. They're focused on just making them memorize the stuff that's going to be asked on the exam. Send them to actual practical hands-on training. And they're going to do stuff. And if they're security people, they're going to break stuff and, and, and learn how to defend stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's a huge problem. And don't even get me started on some of the major training players out there. Where, for example, they're showing you, teaching you how S3 works, right? And then the first thing the instructor does, the first thing is make the, the bucket public because they want to show you how <laughs> can, can access stuff on the browser. And not a word is said, oh, this is dangerous. Don't do this in real life. This is going to be a problem. No. Oh, here, this is how we, oh, this warning, you ignore it. This, you disable this, and then you make it public like this. See, now you can access the, the, the object. It's no wonder then that most companies, like 90% plus of the companies we did engagements with uh, at Tenchi had public blob storage or S3 buckets that shouldn't be public. <laughs> they are conditioned because they were poorly trained. It's I think another of... great example of this is, you know, the AWS templates as well that uh, AWS gives out where mm -hmm. uh, you could, they, I think those are ready-made templates for create a WordPress app, uh, like host a web WordPress site, use this one-click template. Most of the times, all those templates, what they have a, are servers facing the internet, right? There is no concept of you will have a private subnet, which is just private, and then there's a load balancer or any of that. It's more like straight out, it's an EC2 instance <coughs> publicly facing, so you can all log in into it because that's what you want to do. And uh, then you suddenly look at this like, why would you 
like doesn't make sense. You just assume that people know this and but then it, they get hacked. It's meant like an example, like an educational example, like a toy proof of concept stuff, but people use it in production because they don't know any better and they don't understand the consequences because they haven't been trained enough and they, they, they don't, don't have the expertise. And so it, it's actually one of the reasons why Tenchi has training. We did a couple of training sessions in, 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 in Brazil already, really successful because it's teaching AWS from first principles but yeah. training is delivered by security people and at each step of the way. So this is the services, how you use it. This is how you break it. This is how you protect it. Break in the mm. sense of breaking into, right? So we do yeah. S3 and then we show them how to exploit S3 and then we show them how to protect S3, right? And so, and, and that's really, really unusual. And, and it's, a, it's a work of hate because I did the A Cloud Guru, the, the stuff. I saw those excessive privileges, like they're, they're training on code pipeline where, you know, this machine here will be created just to deploy code on this X3 bucket. So here's what we do. Let's just put on the machine role here. Let's put S3 full access because why not, right? Let's just <laughs> give this machine that only needs to write one file to one bucket access to everything related to S3 in my account. What could possibly yep. go wrong? I want to punch <laughs> my screen every time I watch the training like that. I said, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do a better training than this. And yeah, so and it's so funny because uh, I think, and by the way, it's amazing that you guys are running the training as well because I saw the same gap and we've been able to try and to do uh, the same with training. It, it, it's so important that there needs to be training from security folks, like I guess like people like yourself, like I'm, I'm running one as well. It's really interesting that when the training is coming from people who are developers, it's not wrong. It, it's just that it's a different way of looking at the same thing. Right. It's, it's, and I feel like if you look at the AWS training or GCP or whatever, like if you go for a vendor training, they don't really focus from a, so like, for example, AWS would talk about these are the services we use for security, but like, okay, but how does it really work in a, I guess, an enterprise context, or how does it work really in like a real world scenario? So the security training from AWS is focusing on their security specific products. So they're going to be That's talking right. about IAM. They're going to be talking about uh, guard duty. They're never going to be, they're rarely going to be addressing security enough when they talk about the infrastructure stuff. There's very little they say about security when they talk about S EC2, S3, so on and so forth, right? So it's, a, it's, it's one of those things where we see people making uh, mistakes all the time. And so uh, I was talking about the, the people, right? The, the yeah. knowledge they have. So that's really important. It's crucial. That's like way, way above everything else is number one. Yeah. Number two, I would say is don't lift and shift. It's not going to work. Or if it does, you're missing out. You're, you're getting all of the downside, but you're getting none of the upside. Yeah. It's horrible, a horrible decision to make. Don't set a deadline to migrate. You should look at the things that are worth migrating, do them one at a time, look at what worked and what didn't, and learn as a company, and then do everything. Don't set a deadline. I'm going to migrate everything. That's really not uh, the way you, you want to manage your company, if you're being responsible, in my opinion. <clears throat> and, and what this means, typically, the, the, the most frequent mistake I've seen is that people are really used to have this one single internal network, even when there is some segregation of VLANs and some internal firewalls, yeah. but they expect everything to be routable to everything across <laughs> the corporate network. The best way you can deploy your AWS or cloud infrastructure is if you don't do that, 
if you follow that mental model of each AWS account is self-contained, right? And so the challenges you need to, to uh, surpass in order to achieve that are, okay, I have one, for example, antivirus server that's running on my on-premises data center, right? So how do I get an AWS account that's completely network uh, separated on a network level from my corporate network to still have agents that are reporting to my antivirus server. So you start yep. looking at things like private link or even establish like a specific site-to-site uh, uh, -site VPN, but it's really limited to just those communications. So you start looking at that, but you don't try to make everything a single flat network integrated with the, the uh, corporate network. We, yep. we don't do network segregation properly on on premises environments, let, let's not carry that error over by default to cloud accounts, to cloud environments, because you can, we can do it differently. So right? true, so true, yes. I'm just cautious of time as well. We have a few questions that have come through. Another question is around, can you recommend how to find these good trainings? I guess uh, this, <clears throat> I won't really recommend, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you answer it, but I think we kind of bashed through a bit, <laughs> but... I think it's still good from a, if you want to yes. start off, but if you go in with a mindset, yeah. So, so, you know, what good sources of training that I found. So for example, I personally took the Securosis trainings on, on Black Hat mm. from, from Rich Mogul and the team. Oh They're, yeah. That was pretty good. Yes. They're awesome. We've seen Scott Piper, this training. So he, he was planning to have in-person training with uh, forward cloud Sack, which is like a cloud centric security conference he was going to have at the same day as reinforce but then reinforce yep. didn't happen for CloudSec was online i think his training happened online as well so that's another place to go and he does have uh i think like in-company trainings or company specific trainings terry redichel oh yeah she's, that right. well, yeah. Yeah. she's awesome she has amazing training as well yeah uh, and if you don't mind a, a bit a bit of a Brazilian accent on English. We have as well. But those people I said before are way better than we are. So Yeah, yeah. And I think it's definitely worthwhile reaching out to people uh, as well. Because I think there are only a handful of people that are running these kind of training. But I would definitely, I mean, would you agree when I say you definitely need to have some kind of understanding of the cloud per se, which is kind of where a cloud guru or these kind of folks can, I guess, fill some of that gap. But to put that security lens on on top is like which is kind of which is kind of like what people like yourself or me or Scott and other people are, that's what all of us are doing. We're not teaching, I guess, this is what AWS services are, but this is more like this is how you look at them. This is how you look at secrets management. This is how you look at identity management. I think that's kind of where the difference is. Worthwhile calling out because I don't imagine us going and I'm just talking about the training that I run. That I don't imagine myself specifically trying to do trainings on just one service if that makes sense right it's like it's not going to be s3 bucket but i don't know if that, if you look at the same way or you look at it differently no no so so the tr the training we have today we have a, a structure of the trains we're going to have the, the first one we have right now is called aws infrastructure cloud infrastructure security so what mm. we did was if you look at the minimum services every company that's just moving into aws is going to use what is the bare minimum they need to, to do a good job security wise. So we, we started with IAM and so it's a week long course, right? And yep. we had to cut material because it would be a lot bigger, right? <laughs> almost two days of just IAM because IAM is the basis for everything, right? So uh, two days of IAM and then we go into S3, KMS, 
EC2 and a few things associated with EC2 like systems manager because it can help mm. things like management, patch, patch management, things like that. Yep. Uh, and then organizations, SSO, and a little bit about CloudTrail and GuardDuty. Just a just a preview on this course because we, we're planning on releasing later this year our AWS monitoring, like Blue Team course. It's going to be four-day course that ends with a CTF with a capture the flag. Focus oh. on AWS specific monitoring and defense. Having a cloud CTF has been my dream for so long. I was organizing a conference over here called B-Sides Melbourne. Shout out to the B-Sides Melbourne folks. And I designed a cloud-based CTF. I was going to be the first one. And I think it was going to be the first one in the world. But I would at least I would like to think so. But we had to cancel that because of the whole COVID thing. But I would love for someone to just create a CTF in cloud because I feel it's so important. But yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to what she was saying as well about the fact that um, she's looking for more security focused one. I think it's all definitely recommend that because she said she's taken a few and she's got for security related ones. I think the ones that you mentioned already. So Terry is a good person. Uh, obviously, you can go Tenchi if you want, Scott. I run one as well. So there's, there are a few people who are trying to do security-related ones. Quickly skimming through some of the questions, Malini has asked about, is AWS Cognito used widely? It seems to be user directory kind of service to web apps. Any thoughts on Cognito? Yeah, Cognito is more applicable if you are developing an app, you have a mobile app, you're developing a web app. It's not so much to control access into your AWS environment, which is what we were talking about more today. It's much more you're an app developer, you're building an app, uh, and you use Cognito in the same way that you would use Auth0 or other services to, to not have to implement the authentication yourself. And you have right. a, a pre-packaged implementation of the authentication, the user storage, etc., it is kind of limited. I would look into alternatives. There's a great research on some security issues with Cognito that was done by Andres Riancho, which is an Argentinian researcher. I can send you the link later. Maybe you can add it to the show yeah. notes. Yeah, perfect. Worth reading. It has some some limitations. It, if you're all in into AWS, it's going to make easier life easier for you to not use a third-party service then definitely look into it. But keep in mind, that's the use case. You're developing an app and you want to have a, a Cognito handle the authentication for you. It's going to work particularly well if you're using API Gateway. Uh, it integrates really well with API Gateway. So that could be a design choice for you. But uh, something like Auth0 or one of the alternatives is probably going to be more flexible. Oh, I think you know, Paul is an active user of Cognito as well. So he uses that for their SaaS solution. I think I've got another question from Malni about how can I audit or assess IAM in AWS? That's a great question. There, There's one tool that I'm going to rave about. I cannot stop talking about this tool and I was going to forgot, forget, uh, which is cloud splaining. Cloud splaining is awesome. From Kinder McQuaid, I think he's in Salesforce. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a great tool because what it does, it's it's it, it's still work in progress. Anyone's welcome to contribute. If I had more time, I would be contributing already. <laughs> it's a great tool. What it does, it's well. It, there's a specific particular command in in IAM, uh, which I forget right now, which basically dumps all of the IAM users, groups, roles, and all the privileges they have and the relationships between them all in a big JSON. What yep. it does, it gets that, and then 
it checks all of the permissions that were granted to users or roles and draws your attention to anything that's dangerous. So it's going to highlight anything that has the um, capabilities of leading to privilege escalation or to data exfiltration. So any, any dangerous permissions that were granted. And so it's really powerful because you can automate that. You can run that once a week and just look at the report and see what's changed and, and use that as a basis for an audit. Uh. It's going to really scale really well. So that's one that, that really helps. Uh, Policy Sentry by Scott Piper is another one that I really like, but it's on the other end of the spectrum. It's helping you write good policies. So it's a way to simplify the way you write correct policies. Uh, instead of writing the full JSON or, or YAML of the IAM policy, you have a simplified thing saying, I'm going to give read privileges to S3, this S3 bucket. I'm going to give write privileges to this SQSQ. And it's going to then generate, because it knows which operations are read or write or configuration on each service. So yep. it makes the job a lot easier. Because here's the real problem. If people don't understand all the permissions they're going to give, they're going to try one, two, three times. There's an action missing. Oh, what the hell? I'm just going to put asterisk there. That's <laughs> Right, so yep. policy sentry might will probably generate a slightly over permissive policies in the sense that if you give read, it's going to give all of the reads, right? But it's a lot better than people giving up and just going with asterisk, asterisk which happens mm. a lot in real life. It does, it so, does, and I think it's worthwhile calling out that there are um, definitely some challenges by. Of, I think you touched on this earlier. There are seven thousand actions for IAM, right? 7,000, like it's not even practical to think about. And if you try your try to bring your on-premise knowledge of different kinds of groups that you can come in, it, it, it yeah, it's like so many complexities to it, but I think there are definitely some great tools you mentioned. So I'm gonna add that to the show notes. So I'll take that from you. That's kind of like the last question from Malni. Just to of the time as well. There's an AWS policy generator as well, which kind of is all right. I feel like it still doesn't do a great job. Like UI, I just, it, I think the UI sucks of a policy generator though. Uh, but question is sorry. which one, right? Because if you go on SSO, there's one generator. If you go on, oh, on yes. console, there's another one. So AWS is great. The technology is wonderful. They do not exactly excel in UX uh, and, and also on cross product functionality. I think it's a, it's a feature of how they structure their organization where each product team is kind of working independently. And there, there's, there, so they have a, they are very free to innovate. And so that's why you see so many releases and new features and they, they evolve so fast. But at the same time, if you look at how long it takes for a new service to be supported in CloudFormation, all right, or things like that, right? Because the teams don't talk to each other that much because they're running independently. So it's an organizational choice. Mm, that yep. how it works. And the console being a shared thing, I think suffers from the same problem. It's inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think I've just shared the link for Malni as well. Paul just mentioned Cognito is bi-directional. Uh, so can definitely can use in both directions. Just trying to think if any missed anything. No, I just talk about the courses. Sweet. All right, cool. I think we've answered most of the questions. So, but people, I, I can, I'll encourage people to reach out to you as well if they have any other follow-up questions. So this is towards the end of our show. And I've got these three fun questions that I ask people just to get to you know the non-technical side of those forces as well. So, for, so Alex, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on cloud or technology? Ah, interesting. So these days, not much because I'm locked away in my house. <laughs> but, but, but before that, 
I was I, I, I practice Aikido, which is a Japanese modern Japanese martial art. Yeah, more like a therapy than anything else. It's non-competitive. It's not. I'm not trying to be like a, a badass and then cast <laughs> or anything like that. But it's it's really a, a form of therapy, uh, and it's something that you get better at. Increasingly, it's, increasingly, it's very complex. It's cooperative, so it's a really great way to relax and uh, and and exercise. I'm a sci-fi fan, so I watch a lot of movies. I try to read as much as possible, and I try to contribute to conferences. I'm I'm DMC for a, a Brazilian conference that's going to happen next week, for example. I was I did the conference talk on DefCon, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned, right? So, this yes. whole topic of cross-account access. If you go to DefCon Cloud Village, there's a YouTube channel for that. I, I did a, a talk. But as far as non-work related stuff, I love animals. I have five cats. I you love... have five cats. I have. There's oh, one oh, right here. If if you look at the video on Cloud Village, the Thor, this one, yeah. you can actually see him. Let me see if he's able to see him there. Oh yes, I can. <laughs> I actually work from his office. He's gracious enough to let me work here. Oh wow, well, so Thor is gracious enough to allow. You <laughs> use it occasionally. Yeah. Um, and I love martial arts. Actually, the name of the company Tenchi is a Japanese name which means heaven and earth based on the name of a particular move in Aikido that's called Tenchinage, which is one way in which you can throw an opponent. It's heaven uh. and earth because you take one hand of the opponent very close to the ground and the other one very high and the person gets unbalanced and, and falls. And so, oh, oh, okay. good, good to know. I've got another couple of questions for you as well. What is something that you're proud of but not on social media? The team I was able to bring to Tenchi. The thing that makes me proudest right now is just the people I was able to gather around me. If you want to be successful, you need to be surrounded with people that are way smarter, more competent than you. Uh, and I still cannot believe I convinced that bunch of people to work with me on the company that we're just building from scratch. <laughs> that is true. It's, so, I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't imagine, like, I think it's one thing to start something on your own as an individual, but then it's another to kind of get others behind the same mission so yeah definitely kudos to you guys man um, and, and a huge responsibility as well because people are leaving their jobs and they're you know they're going to rely on on the company financially and so it's it's i do not take that for granted but if you look at our blog some of the research like rodrigo montoro danny dilking the people i have i, I i'm really 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 happy about and, and, and proud of that that's awesome and I, I, yeah I, I can't wait to have some of those folks on the show as well one day um final question what's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share interesting i really love italian and spanish cuisine my parents are spaniards i'm i'm All right. actually a spanish citizen as well so i'll do my own tortilla de huevos oh nice oh my god i would love to have them but because uh, I, I only have like a, a very uh, small introduction to the Spanish food. Uh, thanks to, I've got a few Mexican friends here. And they've introduced me to this whole new world that I didn't know existed beyond tacos. I'm like, how is it like people were not talking more about the other food, Span other Spanish food apart from tacos? But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, go on. I'm just no, 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 quite excited okay. there. No, that's okay. That's okay. And 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 Italian food as well. So we were talking about Brazil earlier, right? So I yes. have this huge Spanish influence because my parents are Spanish and a lot of modified dishes that I've, I ate growing up that even people in Brazil don't know about because of the, the Spanish uh, heritage. But oh. Italian is really huge here in Brazil. When, when Brazil abolished slavery, there was a lot of European immigration into Brazil. And so there are regions in Brazil that people only speak German to this day. My wife is from the south of Brazil. She only started to learn the country's 
official language, Portuguese, when she started going to school. What? Her, her father has really thick German accent when he speaks Portuguese. And so she speaks fluent German. And so they have German food and, and Italians. I mean, we have a huge, huge uh, amount. We had a huge amount of Italian immigrants. So the pizza in Sao Paulo is probably one of the best uh, in the world outside of Italy. And I know oh, wow. people from New York are going mad at me right now. I dare them to come here and <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was going <laughs> yeah, to say like the, all the New Yorkers are going to be like, what? How can you have, we have the best pizza in the world. Yeah, I think I'll... I'll I definitely have to say you definitely. I must say you represented Brazil quite well because towards the end you've been, you've managed to have like a good tourism. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you you've managed to get the tourism going up as well. Like with the Italian population, German population, so much good food, amazing pizza. That that sounds perfect, man. Where can people find you uh, if they have any follow up questions and stuff? Where can they find you? So I'm on Twitter as uh, Alexandre Sierra. It's probably if you include the link on on the show notes because I yes, I will. My full name, full name, which is yeah. a horrible mistake. Mistake. That's <laughs> <laughs> <No>, okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, Sierra at tenchisecurity.com. Actually, go to tenchisecurity.com and you're gonna find my my email, my profile there. We have a blog with a few interesting things we we posted that you find might might find interesting. That's the easiest way to find it. Awesome. Cool. All right. I can't wait to have you guys, uh, have you back again and some, some other folks from Tenchi as well. But thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.